learning? We're learning. An everlasting life. All right, that is excellent. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing in our study in the book of Thessalonians, letter, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. A couple weeks ago, Paul was praying, well, not a couple weeks ago, but a couple weeks ago in our study, Paul was praying that they may be strengthened in holiness because he wanted to impart something that was lacking in their faith. And then last week we saw that, that God desires them to grow more and more, that he wants them to be sanctified. And so now this passage he's going to unpack. What does that look like? What's, what's one of the primary, not the only way, but it's one of the, what's one of the primary ways that God calls us to grow in sanctification or holiness. So let's look at God's word together. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute. That word sanctification, it's, it's actually holiness as well. It's the exact same word here in, in verse 3 as it is in verse 4. It says holiness, sanctification, same thing, holiness. Holiness in verse 4, holiness in verse 7. I want you to see those three things as we're reading this through. So I'll read it again. For this is the will of God, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not on the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Father, each and every week, we, we need you. We pray not because it's routine, not because it's part of our liturgy, but Lord, we pray because we rely and depend on you. God, we confess our reliance upon you, our need for you. We depend upon you. and Lord, we ask that you would move in our often dull minds, often dull hearts. Lord, would you, would you enliven us by your Holy Spirit? Lord, you, you've given all who believe in you your Holy Spirit, and so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us afresh with your Spirit to be able to hear from you and respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, about 25 years ago, I was exploring a big area of life, of, of what I was going to do next and, and what God's will for me in a specific area of life was. And so I, I was exploring, you know, is God, is God calling me into full-time ministry? I, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't, and, and you can be sure now that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that God's called me to this. But 25 years ago, I wasn't sure. What's God calling me to do? Do I want to go into full-time ministry? My, the pastors in our church, they had, they had asked me to consider going to this pastor's college. My first inclination was to say no. I was enjoying my career. I was enjoying serving the church. Julie and I were serving the church together. We were serving on campus at George Mason University as an outreach there. We were serving singles. We had started a, a young adults ministry. The things were going great. And, but I was trying to figure out, Lord, what, what would your will for me look like? And as I was doing that, I went through, I found a book, it was called Knowing Will of God, and um, it, it normalized some things about finding God's will. And it took it from the, from the realm of the mystical and from the realm of pseudo-divination, really, you know, where you look for, is God leading me? Well, I just saw a picture of a cross on a gym bag, so God must be leading me. It took it out of that realm of mysticism and divination into more practical advice, like read your Bible, develop a heart for God. Protect your heart, seek wise counsel, and be prepared, though, for divine intervention, because God does move in ways that we don't understand. 
normally, when we think of what's God's will for you, or when we pray, God, would you show me your will for my life? Normally, we have in mind a, a very specific question in our heads, right? God, is, it, is this person your will for me? Lord, is it your will that I get married? Lord, is it your will that I have children? Is it your will that I take this job? Is it your will that whatever? And normally, we think of God's will in that way. But here's the thing. Most of the time, God's will is actually plain. It's already made plain in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean in each and every area we know the very specifics of exactly what it's going to look like, but we have enough of his guidance, his direction, to know how we should live. And so Paul here, he tells us something that really should be shocking to us today in some ways. He says, I know what God's will is for you. As a pastor, I can, I can get up in front of you and say, I know what God's will is for you today. I know what God's will is for your life. You can say, well, how do you know that? Well, because Scripture tells us that. He says, God's will is this. He says, your sanctification or your holiness. That's the same word there, holiness, sanctification. It's used three times in this passage. You know, I, I, when I hear things like that, I can kind of have a conversation with God in my head. And you can think, God, what, what do you want me to do? And, and God would say, well, I want you to grow in holiness. And I oh, no, God, what do you want me to do? God says, well, I want you to, to pursue growing in holiness. Well, God, that, that, doesn't, that sounds going to be boring. It sounds dull. It doesn't sound specific enough. And so we can neglect the call and where God's clear, where his will has been made clear. And so God says, I, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to, to look more and more like Jesus. I want you to, to learn to, to be like Jesus, to put on holiness, not as a, not as a pretend thing, but to become who I've already called you and made you to be. That's the whole point of why God saved us. He, he saved us so that we might be holy, and he saved us so that we might be able to do good work, so we may be able to act holy. You see, God wills and he calls and he enables us to be holy. And that's what this whole passage is talking about, how God wills and God calls and God enables us to be holy in our bodies. And it's both a a call, and it's a serious one, but it's also a comfort. And, and, and you might be confused. Why, how could this be a comfort to us? When, when you hear the, the first thing that Paul has to say to us, that holiness is God's will for you, and that's, that's the first thing that we need to get, is that holiness is what God's will is for you. When you hear that, you can think, well, that's, that's really intimidating. And, and in some regards, it is, because all of us are aware that in many ways, we are not yet who we will be when we go to be with Jesus. We are not fully holy and righteous. But here's the, the comfort in that command. God's will is your holiness. God's will is your holiness. That means that what God wills will be done. God's will, his desire for you is holiness. And no one is going to stop his desires in your life, in the Christian life. In the Christian's life, God's will will be done. And so there's a comfort there that God's will is our holiness, but it's also a call. It's a comfort, and it's a call. And, and if the call is, is to be holy, to be sanctified, and, and, and he starts in an area that is sometimes challenging. 
It was challenging in that day at least. He, he started an area of holiness. He says, I want you to think about holiness, and I want you to begin practicing holiness in your physical bodies. He says, I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. And that's sexual immorality word there. That is all forms, all manners of sexual sin. Anything from fornication and promiscuity or pornography or prostitution or homosexuality, adultery. It's, it's any kind of sexual practice that goes against God's good design and who he's called and willed us to be. And to abstain means to hold off, to, to keep yourself away from, to stay away, to keep away, to hold off from sexual immorality. And that would have been a difficult call to the church in Thessalonica because the church in Thessalonica was surrounded by culture and had come out of a culture very recently that was inundated with sexuality where the idea of sexual immorality didn't exist. What I mean is that there was nothing considered immoral about any form of sexuality. It's kind of hard for us to believe. You know, 2,000 years of Christianity has shaped and formed us in many ways. But in that day, in that culture, that term would have been unknown outside of Christian circles because no form of sexuality was considered immoral in Thessalonica. Anything was fair game. They had temple cults where part of worship and part of the practice of going to business meetings and things like that involved sexual acts and deviant things. One of their philosophers named Demosthenes, he says, mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. It was considered completely acceptable that you have multiple relationships outside of marriage, apart from marriage. Thessalonica was was a deeply pluralistic, pantheistic, paganistic society. It was enamored with the god of Dionysus, who was a god of so-called fertility and pleasure, and they believed that to express yourself meant giving in to pleasures. It was an ambiguous sexual ethic, and there was no distinctions between men and women, and so they engaged in all sorts of sexual promiscuity and indulgences. Things were so bad that Some of the Jewish scholars of that day warned the Jewish followers that anyone over the age of four was likely not a virgin. This was a culture that was immoral and yet didn't believe that. And so into this culture, Paul brings a radical message. The gospel brings a radical message because it redefines who we are. It redefines who we're called to be. And it was a radical call to abstain from all the things that were acceptable in the society around them and really all the things that had twisted and perverted the image of God. And it wasn't a call because God wanted to keep them from something good. No, it was a call because God wanted to rescue them, to redeem them, to show them the purpose that he called them for so they could live in conformity to his image, live in joy, live in peace, live in in tranquility with each other and with him. And it was a radical call then and to abstain from sexual morality, and it's, it's becoming more and more radical today as well. Today, over from a recent survey from Gallup, 71% of Americans said they are in favor of same-sex marriage. 89% of adults 18 to 29 believe that. 
81% of the population believes that divorce is a completely good and a viable option. 76% of our, of our population, this is from 2016, by the way, believe in premarital sex is good. Gay and lesbian relations, 71% believe that's good. 70% believe having a baby outside of a marriage is a good thing. Opinion about sex between teenagers is divided, about 50-50. And then 46% of the population say that, that changing one's gender is, is morally acceptable. This is an applicable passage for us today, isn't it? 60% of, of teens back in 2016 believe that pornography is not wrong, They, in fact, they, the young adults said not recycling is more immoral than, than indulging in, in pornography. That was seven years ago. Negatively thinking about somebody else with a different point of view was seen as much worse than viewing pornography. Only about 11% of teens and only 5% of young adults said their friends think viewing porn is bad. 62% back in 2016 of teens and young adults said they received nude images. Over 71% said they've come across porn at least once or twice a month. This is a very relevant passage for us today. And we need to be open about that. We need to be clear about that. But we're also saying that God's calling is not because he calls us to be prudes, because he's trying to keep us from evil. He's trying to keep us from going against what he designed for us. He's actually trying to give us joy. This is what it looks like to live a joyful Christian life is, is to pursue holiness and specifically to avoid sexual immorality. And then he gives us some means to do that. It's not an easy command, but he gives us some means to do it. He says, he goes on to say, know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. Know how to control your own body and holiness and honor. And that means thinking about what you're tempted by, thinking about what's affecting you, what's around you, what your body is interacting with. And that goes from everything that you see to who, what you do and who you do it with and how you interact with people. You know, recently we were watching a relatively benign television show, and, and I was really convicted because the show is it's encouraging an ungodly view of sexual morality it's it's encouraging sexual immorality but it makes light of it it's a joke it's not the main theme but it's it's so insidious that i said you know honey i, I we have to stop watching this we, we don't because it affects how you think and it normalizes things so knowing how you control your body might might mean some inconveniences for you and he explains know how to control your own body now that word body it actually means vessel that's the, the original word there is vessel, and they translate it to body because it's a metaphor. Vessel is a metaphor for body. Why I like the original word vessel is because I think it reminds us of the vessels that were reserved for use in the temple. Maybe Paul had that in mind. You know, temple vessels, they were holy because they were reserved for use in the worship of God. They had a very special purpose, and their purpose was to offer up worship and to enable the offering of worship to God to function, to facilitate worship. And I think that's why Paul here is saying, know how to control your own vessel, your body, 
because it's an instrument of worship. You've been redeemed. You've been made new. You've now been made holy. And now you're a vessel of worship. So know how to control your own vessel in holiness and honor. What that means is don't, don't be naive. Know what your weak points are. And, and control your body in holiness and honor. With, with holiness as part of the design of who you are in mind. With honor, part of the design of who you've been made to, do, to be, to honor God, informing what you do with your bodies. You know, we all know that we are tempted. And to know how to control your body means that knowing what you're tempted by. Knowing what tempts you specifically. Some of the vessels in the temple, they'd be used for a multitude of purposes, from making dough to offer up the bread, holding coals to burn the sacrifice, some holding water to, to sprinkle, some serving as lamps. All of those vessels were set apart for worship to God, just like you and I have been set apart as vessels of worship to God. That's who God has made us. We once were not holy. Now he's saying, you, you, you've been made a vessel that's holy. Know how to control your vessel in holiness and honor. I think that's why in, in Romans 12, 1, Paul, he wrote to the believers there in the church. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies or vessels, same word there, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he's saying the same thing here. Think of yourselves in regards to the fact that you are holy vessels. You've been made to honor him, to honor and worship God. That is your purpose. That is who you are. So know how to control your vessels or possess them in holiness and honor. If you were given something nice from a relative that had passed away, you would, you would treat that thing as special. You would, you would treat it with respect and a dignity that was unique. We have a, a special teapot. It's, there's, in and of itself, it's not special. I don't think it costs very much, but my mom gave it to us. And so we treat that in a special way because she's passed away and it came from her. And so we hold it in a special place and, and, and we're aware of how we interact with it. And Paul's saying, know how to control. You have been made a special vessel. You've been set apart by God. Know how to control your vessel. He says, now, now don't do it by giving in to lust like the Gentiles do. He says in verse 5, not in the passion of lust, so not in the heat of the moment, not in the heat of your desires. It says sometimes your desires will flame up and you'll have an immediate desire and you can feel like you must give in to those desires. He says don't do that. That's what the Gentiles do. That's the old nature. He says don't do that because those are the desires of those who do not know God. And he says in, in, instead you know God. You know God. So don't give in to the desires of those who don't know God because God has called you to be holy. That's Holiness is how God's called you. So not only has God, God made you, made his will known to you that his, his will is that you be holy, but now he's called you to be holy. Holiness, that's the second thing we're looking at, is how God has called you. Holiness is how God's called you. Imagine that you were called up to the military in a draft. And, and you went and you joined and you went through all the special training, put the uniform on, and your purpose would be to fight, to defend, to represent. And you just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not going to wear the uniform today, I'm not going to fight today, I'm not going to defend what I'm supposed to. That would be counter to what you've been called to do. 
And as a Christian, when you, we live lives that are unholy, that, that's counter to what you've been called to do because God has called us not for impurity, but in holiness. We've been called to holiness. We've been set apart. Holiness is to be the motivation because holiness is what you've been called to. Honor who God's called you. Honor the fact that Jesus died and he rose again to make you holy, to call you holy. He's given you his holy name. God has placed his name on you and his name is holy. And he's now said, you are holy and you have my holy name. That's what you've been called to be. I like how Gordon Fee puts it. He says, God's calling of the Thessalonians to himself was for the purpose of their living in holiness, meaning that holiness was to be the context that framed all of life, both within and outside the community of faith. God's called us in the sense of giving a name to us, and he's given us his name now, and, 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 and God says, I want you to live like who I've already called you to be. And our bodies are meant to be worships, instruments of worship, not of impurity. And to go against this, he says, is to go against what God says. Paul's saying, these aren't just good ideas that I made up. He says, you know, holiness disregarded is disregarding God. Holiness disregarded, that's the third thing when you see is that holiness disregarded is disregarding God. When you think, hey, these are just these outdated, outmoded ideas from these prudish Christians... If you're thinking that way, feeling that way, thinking you can feel free to interpret the Bible however you want, and you can feel free to pick and choose whether or not you obey God's command to be holy, then what you are doing is you are disregarding God. And there's solemn warnings in this passage. In fact, there's, there's really three solemn warnings. He says, we, we warned you that, that you wouldn't that no one transgress and wrong his brother. And there's a warning there. He says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. To avenge means to, to give people the punishment they are due. There's an offense that's been committed. And so he says, don't, don't transgress or wrong your brother. G.K. Bill says, thus Paul warns Christians not to participate in immorality since it, it involves deceptively taking something from others for selfish purposes. Paul undoubtedly believes that sexual relationships are reserved only for marriage so that such relationships outside of marriage entail taking sexual possessions reserved for another. The deception is that selfish sexual motives are often masked by sincere professions of love. Listen, Satan desires to tear apart your faith if it's possible. He desires to steal and destroy and he, he does that through insidious ways, through appealing to your base desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the pride of life, thinking that we can define what is right and what's good. But here's the thing, sexual sin, it, it destroys churches. It destroys ministries. It destroys marriages. It robs us of confidence in the Christian life. It brings condemnation. It brings guilt. It brings shame. It keeps us and holds us back from pursuing God and enjoying God. It, it steals and destroys joy. And then there's a severe danger in disregarding how you relate to those who are your brothers and sisters 
or those who could be your brothers and sisters. You see, committing sexual sin with someone else doesn't just hurt you. It, it affects them. It's saying that you are more important and valuable than them. It's, it's, it's actually the most, one of the most unloving things you can do is to commit a sexual sin with somebody else because you're leading them into sin. You're saying that your needs, your desires are more important than them loving God. And God says there's severe danger in that. God doesn't take that lightly, how we treat other people in regards to sexuality. God doesn't take it lightly. And if we continue down that path of pursuing that, he says the Lord is an avenger. There's severe danger in disregarding God. And that, that word for avenger, it's a minister of God who, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And this scripture is actually meant to give pause to people who say, you know what, I'm just going to disregard different portions of scripture that have to do with sexual immorality because I don't agree with them because that's not what I desire, it's not what I feel. What they're saying is that my desires trump what God says. What they're saying is that I disregard God. And God takes it seriously. In Nahum 1, it says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God takes this matter of our holiness, of sexual immorality, very seriously. So Paul, he says, we solemnly warned you and told you beforehand. And, and if you disregard this, you don't just disregard what we have to say, but you disregard God. It's like Luke 10, when... Jesus says, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And to, to willfully and continually reject God, it's a sign that we don't really belong to God. And all those who reject God will be judged on the last day. That's what John 12, 48 says. He who rejects me and does not receive my saying as one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. And Paul's warning here and saying, don't, don't play fast and loose with your desires, with how you approach the ideas of sexual morality. He says, don't disregard the call of God on your, to, on your body. Don't disregard God. And, and, and here's the thing. I would guess in our church that most people here have in some way indulged in some form of sexual morality. This, this is not to give us guilt or condemnation. It's to say, no, there's hope, actually, for change. The Bible calls us to holiness because God calls us to be like him. Now, the reality is, is that we seldom, if ever, measure up. In my own life, I, I can think of a hundred different ways I, I've not been holy. And in so many ways, I've sinned against God in, in regards to sexual morality. And yet there's hope. Hope for each and every person here is in Christ and in, in confession. And if you find yourself in a place where, where you've been guilty of some form of sexual morality or where you're indulging or engaging in that or you've uh, played fast and loose with God's rules and tried to define your own destiny and who you are, then there's hope for you in confession and repentance, coming clean, receiving forgiveness, responding to God. 
walking in the light like he is in the light. And then he promises as we walk in the light like he's in the light that the blood of his son, it, it cleanses us from all sin. We can get help. On the flip side, if you're someone who is not currently struggling with sexual immorality or sexual temptation, then praise God, that's wonderful. But you have a call as well. The call is to come alongside, to extend grace. Knowing that all of us are weak, all of us need help, all of us in different ways need help in, in walking in holiness. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to see several other ways that we're called to holiness. And this is just one of the first. Now, if this is not a struggle for you, then your call is to come along someone else and to help them to extend grace, not to condemn, but to bring freedom, to extend grace and forgiveness and to help and to walk alongside, trusting that, that God gives us his Holy Spirit. And that's really the fourth thing when you see this passage. It's, it's something that you might otherwise overlook. You might see it as a throwaway. It says, don't disregard God. Who gives his Holy Spirit to you? That's a wonderful promise. A wonderful promise. Holiness is why God gives you the Holy Spirit. Not the only reason why, but it's, it's one main reason to conform you, make you to his image. And the Holy Spirit is all about the process of making you into the image of Jesus. And so what that means is that you're not alone. God gives, and I love that word, it's, it's an ongoing, he didn't just in the past give, God gives his Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God gives his Holy Spirit to you. In an ongoing way. And I love the language it's of the Holy Spirit being given to you. It's this, the fulfillment of the promise in Ezekiel 37, 14, where the Spirit comes to indwell his people and says, and you shall live. God gives his Holy Spirit to us so we can live and live lives of holiness. And the Holy Spirit is, is the very source of our holiness for the believer. Paul often in his letters just refers to the Spirit. Here he is intentionally says the Holy Spirit is who God gives to you. Because God is holy, his Spirit is holy, and his Holy Spirit is in you. He gives his Holy Spirit into you is the literal wording here. It doesn't mean we're guaranteed perfection, but it, but it means that we aren't helpless. We aren't helpless by any means. We don't have to give it into impurity. We can be made holy. He is in the process of making us holy. And we can rely on him and depend upon him, keeping in step with the Spirit, listening to him. You see, the gospel, it enables and it empowers us to be holy because we've been set apart. We've been made justified. We've been set apart, set apart as holy to him that now we can actually live holy lives. Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. They they are vessels where the Holy Spirit inhabits. And our fellow believers are also vessels or temples of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't left you alone in this call to holiness. He's given you his spirit and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that will enable you to do what he's commanding you to do here. That's our hope. That's our trust. You see, Paul, he prayed in in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be blameless in holiness? Don't you want to be more like Jesus? Don't you want to be who God wills for you to be and who God's called you to be and made you to be and and be conformed more and more into the image of Christ? I think Christ was the happiest person who ever walked this earth. You ever think of Jesus that way? 
He was the happiest person who ever walked this earth because he was always about doing God's will and he was fully man in the, in the best sense of the word. Man without sin. Man unencumbered by those things. And, and God has now called us to be holy so that we can be like Jesus, so that we can find joy in him. Joy in fulfilling his purposes for us. Joy in the restoration of who we were made to be. And he's given us his spirit to do that. Blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And here's the thing, as we look forward to the coming, it says, of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. As we do that, as we think about the call to holiness, let's rely on the fact that it's, it's God's will for us and that he gives us his spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you make your will plain. Thank you, Lord, that you also have called us so that we can fulfill your will. And Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone, but you give us your spirit so we can be made into your image and carry out your will for us. God, I pray that you would bring conviction where necessary. I pray, I pray that you bring freedom from enslavement, freedom from bondage to sin. Lord, I pray that you bring deliverance, Lord. I pray that you bring fresh faith and hope. And Lord, give us the joy of walking with you, of, of being in fellowship with you, walking, keeping in step with your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.